we'd like to welcome you back to part four of our current event and weekly Bible study for August 30th, 2015. The next, the last whole part of this, I don't know how many long it's going to take me to get through this, is um, regarding this whole Confederate flag issue and uh, what it's actually about. What What is the, the Confederate flag actually stand for? Um, and getting relating that also to the Civil War. And this is just stunning information. Again, we're just lied to on every single level in today. I mean, it just got done doing three parts on how we're lied to regarding just the healthcare system, the, the disease propagation system, I should say. Big Pharma Medical. Well, it's no different than any other other area of our life, essentially, how we're being lied to. And this Confederate flag is, is a real doozy. This is, <laughs> I mean, this information is just, uh, <clears throat> well, I'll let it speak for itself. This first report is entitled, The Confederate Flag Needs to be Raised and Not Lowered, by Chuck Baldwin. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit what we are seeing happening in the United States today is an apt illusion of why the Confederate flag was raised in the first place. What we are seeing materialize before our very eyes is tyranny. Tyranny over the freedom of expression. Tyranny over the freedom of association. Tyranny over the freedom of speech. And tyranny over the freedom of conscience. In 1864, Confederate General Patrick Claiborne warned his fellow, fellow Southerners of the historical consequences should the South lose their war for independence. Remember, this is a war for their independence. It was not about slavery. It was a war for their right to secede from the Union. Okay? It would be like if you were married to somebody and the marriage was like illegitimate and your partner was doing all kind of things that were bad and you wanted to get out of that. Well... It would be like saying what the North did to the South would be like saying, well, you have no right to secede from us and we're going to kill you, you know, by the hundreds of thousands in order to prove that to you, that you have no right to do, to have your own freedom, to have your own, basically, um, I don't know if you would term it as a country, you don't have that right. We have that and we will impose our will on you. That was what it ended up boiling down to, and we're going to prove it in this study. All of this garbage has been written out of the history books, though. Not garbage, but all of, all of the, the, the things that we're going over today, which is garbage is the fact that they've done this to us. We don't even know what the real history of, of, of this even is. Confederate General Patrick Claiborne warned his fellow Southerners in 1864 of the historical consequences should the South lose their war for independence. He said if the South lost, quote, it means that history, the history of this heroic struggle will be written by the enemy, which was the North. That our youth will be trained by Northern school teachers, will learn from Northern school books their version of the war, why? Because they won the war, so they get to write the history books. We'll be impressed by all of its influences of history and education to regard our gallant debt as, as traitors and maimed veterans as suspects of derision. 
No true words were ever spoken. History revisionists, meaning they've revised what history actually really was, history revisionists flooded America's public schools with northern propaganda about the people who attempted to secede from the United States, characterizing them as racists, extremists, radicals, hate mongers, traitors, etc. Now, please bear with me on this because we're just getting started here. So if you've already made up your mind, I'm wrong, fine. Fine. This isn't about me. This is about documented history that's totally been rewritten and taken out of the textbooks. He says, you know the same way the people in our federal government and news media attempt to characterize Christians, patriots, war veterans, and constitutionalists today. Well, they're doing the same thing. They did the same thing back then. Folks, please understand that the only people in 1861 who believed that the states did not have the right to secede were Abraham Lincoln and his radical Republicans. To say the southern states did not have the right to secede from the United States is to say that the 13 colonies did not have the right to secede from Britain. One cannot be right one cannot be right and right and the other wrong. Okay, one cannot be right and the other wrong. If one is right, both are right. How can we celebrate our declaration of independence? from British tyranny in 1776 and then turn around and condemn the Declaration of Independence of the Confederacy in 1861. Really good points to think about. Talk about hypocrisy. In fact, the southern states were not the only states that talked about secession. After the southern states seceded, the state of Maryland fully intended to join them. In September of 1861, Lincoln sent federal troops to the state capitol and seized the legislature by force in order to prevent them from voting. This is total dictatorship. Total tyranny. Federal provost marshals stood guard at the polls in Maryland and arrested Democrats and anyone else who believed in secession. A special furlough was granted to Maryland troops so they could go home and vote against secession. Judges who tried to inquire into the phony elections were arrested and thrown into military prisons. Sounds like our government today. There is your great emancipator, folks, Abraham Lincoln. He's a devil. And before the South seceded, several northern states had also threatened secession. Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Rhode Island had threatened secession as far back as James Madison's administration. In addition, the states of New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware were also threatening secession during the first half of the 19th century, long before the southern states even considered such a thing. People say constantly that Lincoln, quote, saved the Union. Lincoln didn't save the Union, he subjugated the Union. There is a huge difference. A union that is not voluntary is not a union. Man does not have a right to force a woman to marry him, which is the analogy I gave earlier, or to force a woman to stay married to him, which is what was going on here. In the eyes of God, a union of husband and wife is far superior to the union of states. If God recognizes the right of husbands and wives to separate, and he does, 
to try and suggest that states do not have the right to lawfully, under natural and divine rights, separate is the most preposterous proposition imaginable. People say that Lincoln freed the slaves. Lincoln did not free a single slave. But what he did was enslave free men. His so-called Emancipation Proclamation had no authority in the southern states, as they had separated into another country. Imagine a president today signing a proclamation to free folks in, say, China or Saudi Arabia. He would be laughed out of Washington. Lincoln had no authority over the Confederate States of America, and he knew it. Do you not find it interesting that Lincoln's proclamation did not, did not free a single slave in the United States, the country in which he did have authority, meaning the northern part? That's right. The Emancipation Proclamation deliberately ignored slavery in the north. Do you not realize that what Lincoln signed when, when Lincoln signed his proclamation, there were over 300,000 slaveholders who were fighting in the Union Army? Let me read that last sentence again. When he signed the Emancipation Proclamation, do you not realize that Lincoln signed this proclamation? There were over 300,000 slaveholders who were fighting in the Union Army. Oh, but it was all about freeing the slaves. No, it wasn't. It was about control. It was about imposing Abraham Lincoln and his cohorts, imposing his will on the South. Check it out for yourself. One of the northern slaveholders was General and later U.S. President Ulysses S. Grant. In fact, he maintained possession of his slaves even after the war between the states concluded. Recall that his counterpart, Confederate, Robert e, Confederate General Robert E. Lee, an honorable man, freed his slaves before hostilities between the North and South ever broke out. When asked why he refused to flee his slaves, Grant said, Ulysses S. Grant said, good help is hard to find these days. That's a quote. <laughs> this is such a joke. The institution of slavery did not end until the 13th Amendment was ratified on December 6, 1865. The Civil War had ended eight months earlier, on April 9, 1865. So that's what slavery ended. When the 13th Amendment was ratified. Eight months after the Civil War ended. Speaking of the 13th Amendment, did you know that Lincoln authored his own 13th Amendment? It is the only amendment to the Constitution ever proposed by a sitting U.S. President. Here is Lincoln's proposed amendment. Quote, No amendment shall be made to the Constitution which will authorize or give Congress the power to abolish or interfere within any state, within the domestic institutions thereof, including that a person's held to labor or service by laws of the said state. You read it right, Lincoln proposed an amendment to the U.S. Constitution preserving the institution of slavery. His amendment preserved the institution of slavery. Lincoln's did. This proposed amendment was written in March of 1861, a month before the shots were fired at Fort Sumter, South Carolina, to start the Civil War. He didn't want to end slavery. He wrote an amendment so it wouldn't end. I mean, this is 
total insanity. But the South is totally demonized over this. To this day, the state of South Carolina was particularly incensed at the tariffs enacted by the 1828 and in 1832, the tariff of 1828 was disdainfully called the Tariff of Abominations by the state of South Carolina. Accordingly, the South Carolina legislator declared that the tariffs of 1828 and 1832 were, quote, unauthorized by the Constitution of the United States. Think, folks, why would the southern states secede from the Union over slavery when President Abraham Lincoln had offered an amendment to the Constitution, guaranteeing the preservation of slavery. It was never what the war was about, in other words. It makes no sense. If the issue was predominantly slavery, all the South needed to do was to go along with Lincoln. And his proposed 13th Amendment would have permanently preserved slavery among the southern and the northern states. Does that sound like a body of people who are willing to lose hundreds of thousands of men on the battlefield over slaving, saving slavery? Total nonsense. The problem was Lincoln wanted the southern states to pay the Union a 40% tariff on their exports all about control power and money that was what caused the civil war lincoln wanted the southern states to pay the union to pay the union a 40 percent tariff on their exports oh only 40 percent i mean that's not too outrageous the south considered this outrageous and refused to pay by the time hostilities broke out in 1861, the South was paying up to and perhaps exceeding 70% of the nation's taxes. We're talking total slime bags in the North. At that sewage pit called Washington, D.C. It still is to this day. It's even worse now. Oh, they were, they were only making the South pay for 70% of the nation's taxes. I wonder why they, they were kind of fed up with that and maybe why hostilities broke out. I, I can't imagine why. I, I can't imagine why they'd want to secede from an evil, wicked institution like that. Britain hadn't even proposed anything close to that. And we went to war with them. But that was a righteous war. See, they've rewritten the history books. Before the war, the South was very prosperous and productive, and Washington, D.C. kept raising the taxes and tariffs on them. You know, the way Washington, D.C. keeps raising the taxes on the prosperous American citizens today? Yeah. Same slime bags then and now. This is much the same story of the way the colonies refused to pay the demanded tariffs of the British crown. I'll bet the tariffs of the crown were much, much lower than those demanded by Lincoln. Lincoln's proposed 13th Amendment was an attempt to entice the South into paying the tariffs by being willing to permanently ensconce the institution of slavery into the Constitution. It was, it was a carrot he was dangling to try to get them to get in lockstep with the Union. And the South said no, though. No. In addition, 
the congressional record of the United States forever obliterates the notion that the North fought the war between the states over slavery. Read it for yourself. This is the congressional record of the United States. This resolution was passed unanimously uh, by the U.S. Congress in July 23, 1861, and it said the wars waged by the government of the United States, not in the spirit of conquest or subjugation, nor for the purpose of overthrowing or interfering with the rights or institutions of states, but to, but to defend and protect the Union. They wanted that power, they wanted that money to keep flowing, and they wanted all those unbelievably satanic tariffs and taxes they were imposing on the South to keep rolling in. But the people that rewrote the history book said it was all about slavery. Even though, even though Abraham Lincoln wanted to have slavery as a permanent aspect of our government. And even wrote an amendment to that effect. What could be clear? The U.S. Constitution declared that the war against the South was not an attempt to overthrow or interfere with the institutions of the states, but to keep the Union intact by force. It was all about imposing their will on the South. Hear it loudly and clearly. Lincoln's war against the South had nothing to do with ending slavery. So said the U.S. Congress by a unanimous resolution in 1861, which I just read. Abraham Lincoln himself said it was never his intention to end the institution of slavery. In a letter to Alexander Stevenson, who later became vice president of the Confederacy, Lincoln wrote this, quote, Do the people of the South really entertain fears that a Republican administration would directly or indirectly interfere with their slaves or with them about their slaves? If they do, I wish to assure you, as once a friend, and still, I hope, not an enemy, that there is no cause for such fears. The South would be in no more danger in this respect than it was in the days of Washington, of, lose, of, of, of losing the slaves, because he had no intention of ending slavery. Lincoln, he's a hypocritical devil. Again, what could be clear? Lincoln himself said the southern states had nothing to fear from him in regard to abolishing slavery. Here, Lincoln again. Then he says, quote, If I could save the Union without... It's all about saving the Union, remember? It's all about keeping that money flowing. It's all about those tariffs and the taxes. Here's what Lincoln said, quote, If I could save the Union without freeing any slave, I would do it. He also said, quote, I have no purpose directly or indirectly to interfere with the institution of slavery in the slates in the states where it exists. <laughs> he had no intention of this. I believe I have no, no lawful right to do so, and I have no inclination to do so. <laughs> I mean, my word, how we've been lied to. The idea that the Confederate flag, actually there were five of them, stood for racism, bigotry, hatred, and slavery is just so much hogwash. In fact, if one truly wants to discover who the racist was in 1861, just read the words of Mr. Abraham Lincoln himself. On August 14, 1862, Abraham Lincoln, now this is, we're into the war now, we're into the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln invited a group of black people 
to the White House in his address to them. <laughs> Why isn't this in the, in the history books, okay? In his address to them, he told them of his plans to colonize them all back to Africa. <laughs> but he's the great emancipator, okay? Listen to what he told these folks. Quote, here's Abraham Lincoln. Why should the people of your race be colonized and where? Why should they leave this country? This is perhaps the first question for proper consideration. You and we are different races. We have between us a broader difference than exists between almost any other two races. Whether it is right or wrong, I need not discuss, but this physical difference is a great disadvantage to both of us, to, to us both, as I think. Your race suffers very greatly, many of them by living among us, while ours suffers from your presence. <laughs> this is what Lincoln said. Oh, my word. In a word, we suffer on each side. If this is admitted, it affords a reason, at least why we should be separated. Here, you, you here are free men, I suppose. Perhaps have been long free or all of your life. Perhaps you have been long free or all of your lives. But your race is suffering. In my judgment, the greatest wrong inflicted on any people. But even when you cease to be slaves, you are yet far removed from being placed on an equality with the white race. <laughs> the aspiration of men is to enjoy equality when the best, with the best when free. But on this broad continent, not a single man of your race is made the equal of a single man of our race. Where's all the Black Lives Matter people about this? Where's, where's Reverend Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and the Rainbow Coalition? Where's Oprah Winfrey? What? This is, this is a quote from his own records. And we're just getting started. I mean, don't you love the hypocrisy? Why aren't all the black races in America taught this? Did you hear, did you hear what Lincoln said? He said that black people would never be equal with white people. Not a single man of the black race is made the equal of a single man of our race, is what he said. Wow, I mean, that is some serious racism there. I mean, that is racism off the scale. The great emancipator, friend of the blacks everywhere. So he said black people would never be equal with white people, even if they all obtained their freedom from slavery. So I guess that was that was his rationale for sending everybody, all the blacks back to Africa, because he's like, well, hey guys, I mean, listen, it doesn't matter if you stay here. Never gonna, the best of you is never going to be equal with the with the least of the white men here. So we're on such a an unlevel playing field. We need to ship you all back to Africa, because that's what he wanted to do. If that isn't a racist statement, I've never heard one. Then Lincoln's statement above is not isolated. In Charleston, Illinois, in 
1858, Lincoln said in a speech, quote, I love these Lincoln quotes. They're the best ever. I am not, nor have ever been, in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equity of white and black races. I am not, nor ever have been in favor of making voters or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to hold office, nor to intermarry with white people. I will say in addition to this that there is a physical difference between the white and the black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races from living together on a social or political equality. And inasmuch as they cannot so live while they do remain together, there must be the position of superior and inferior. <laughs> oh gosh, this is unreal. And as much as any other man am I in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white. End of quote. <laughs> I can't even read this stuff. This is Abraham Lincoln. What a guy. What a what a great what a great friend of the black races, you know? Then, then um, goes on to say, ladies and gentlemen, in his own words, Abraham Lincoln declared himself to be a white supremacist. <laughs> yeah, I could see him donning the old Ku Klux, Klu Klux Klan, you know, hooded robe and being the grand dragon of his local chapter. I mean, he had all the makings. He probably was. Why don't our history books and news media tell the white people the truth? Well, what about the black people? The truth about Lincoln and the war between the states. It's simple. If people would study the meanings and history of the flag, the symbols, and its statutes of the Confederacy and the Confederate leaders, they might begin to awaken to the tyrannical policies of Washington, D.C. that preclude Southern independence. Policies that have only escalated since the defeat of the Confederacy that they might have then the notion again to resist. By the time Lincoln penned his Emancipation Proclamation, the war had been going on for two years without resolution. In fact, the North was losing the war. Even though the South was outmanned and out-equipped, the genius of the Southern generals and the fighting acumen of the Southern men had put the Northern armies on their heels. Many people in the North never saw the legitimacy of Lincoln's war in the first place. And many of them campaigned against it, as we had talked about earlier. These people were affectionately called copperheads by the people in the South. And there was a ton of them. But all the other brainwashed masses that were with Lincoln, and the, 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 the turning point of the war, if you ask me, was when Stonewall Jackson got killed by, unfortunately, his own troops. That was, that was the turning point of the war. Because at that point, Robert E. Lee then invaded, it wasn't that long that they invaded and they had the debacle at Gettysburg, which was just ridiculous. See, at that point, we had fought a defense, the South had fought a defensive war. They weren't go, trying to go into northern territory and take their land or anything. They wanted to get, I ultimately believe, to Washington, D.C. to end the war, but they hadn't done that. And Gettysburg was one of really the ma the only major campaign into the northern part. And I don't know from a spiritual standpoint whether God deemed that as a no-no. I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. I know Robert E. Lee um, was, you know, when that happened, that and we lost, the, the South lost so many there, that seemed to be really the turning point of the war. Up until that point, up until the point when Stonewall Jackson, before he died and then even after that, up to that point, the South had been winning the war. 
that seemed to be the turning point from what I can gather from my research. But these people that were sympathetic to the southern cause were caused coppers. Remember what I said Maryland wanted to secede and there was a lot of other states that wanted to do it way before that? He goes on to say, I urge you to watch Ron Maxwell's accurate depiction of those people in the north who favored the southern cause as depicted in the motion picture Copperhead. I actually went and um, I, I watched this movie um, online. And yeah, it gave me a totally different perspective. I didn't realize there was this many people that were sympathetic in the north to the southern cause. For what matter, I consider the movie uh, Gods and Generals to be the greatest Civil War movie ever made. It is the most accurate and fairest depiction of Confederate General Thomas Stonewall Jackson, who I just mentioned. He was the... He was really... I mean, when he died, Robert E. Lee said... I, I think Robert E. Lee... What happened is 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 he got shot in the arm. He was doing a, a, a night recon, and he got shot by his own troops in the left arm. His arm went gangrenous... He ended up losing the arm, and then he ended up dying as a result of it. But when he lost his left arm, Robert E. Lee, when he went to him, he says, you've lost your left arm, but I've lost my right. Meaning that was his right arm, Stonewall Jackson. Brilliant general. And um, that seemed to be the turning point of the whole war, in my opinion. This goes on to say... Um, in my opinion, actor Stephen Lang should have received an Oscar for his performance as General Jackson. Another, that's another thing. The war fought from 1861 to 1865 was not a civil war. Civil war suggests two sides fighting for control of the same capital and country. The South didn't want to take over Washington, D.C. No more than their forebears wanted to take over London. They wanted to separate from Washington, D.C., which was obviously totally evil and corrupt as it is to this day. I mean, look at the look at the architecture of Washington D.C. alone. All of the Freemasonic garbage and architecture and and just evil, and the whole street designs and all of the garbage they've got there. Okay, they wanted to separate from Washington D.C. And, and if you don't believe that, go up to the internet and key in "riddles in stone." And it should come up or Washington D.C. riddles in stone, and it, it's a whole documentary on all the occultic buildings and street designs and how they laid the whole city out according to luciferian principles riddles in stone you should be able to watch it for free um they wanted to separate from washington dc just as america's founding fathers wanted to separate from great britain the proper names for that war are either the war between the states or the war for southern independence or more fittingly the war of northern aggression look at what sherman did that stinking devil Sherman, who literally burned, raped, and pillaged his way into the South to the point where you could still see a lot of what he did on satellite images to this day. The devastation swath that Sherman left because they were fighting such a righteous war. They wanted to free the slaves so badly that they had to kill, steal, rape, and pillage their way and burn their way through the South. Because they were fighting such a righteous, noble cause. No, they were fighting for Satan. It was a satanic cause. Hopefully I've already proven that and we're just getting cranked up. Had the South wanted to take over Washington, D.C., they could have done so with the very first battle of the Civil War. 
when Lincoln ordered federal troops to invade Virginia in the First Battle of Manassas, called the First Battle of Bull Run by the North. Confederate troops sent the Yankees running for their lives all the way back to Washington. Had the Confederates pursued them, they could have easily taken the city of Washington, D.C., seized Abraham Lincoln, and perhaps ended the war before it began. But General Beauregard and the others had no intention of fighting an aggressive war against the North. Why? Because they were noble in their in their cause, obviously, and they merely wanted to defend the South against the aggression of the North. We could have won the war from the first battle, basically. Man, I can't even imagine what the world would be like today. In order to rally the people in the North, Lincoln needed a moral crusade. This is important. That's what his emancipation, emancipation proclamation was all about creating this moral crusade. This explains why his proclamation was not penned until 1863, two years after fruitless fighting. He was counting on people in the North to stop resisting his war against the South if they thought it was some kind of, quote, holy war. Plus, Lincoln was hoping that his proclamation would incite blacks in the South to insurrect against the Southern whites. If thousands of blacks would begin to wage war against their white neighbors, or slave masters, the fighting men of the southern armies would never have to leave the battlefield and go home to defend their families. But this never happened. They would have to leave the battlefields and go defend their families. But this never happened. Because the slaves never rose up against them. Not only did the blacks not riot against the whites in the South, many black men volunteered to fight alongside their white friends and neighbors in the Confederate Army. Unlike the blacks in the North, who were conscripted by Lincoln and forced to fight in segregated units. Thousands of blacks in the South fought of their own free will in a fully integrated Southern Army. I bet your history book never told you about that either. If one wants to ban a racist flag, one would have to ban the British flag. Ships bearing the Union Jack shipped over 500, or I'm sorry, 5 million African slaves to the countries all over the world, including the British colonies in the north. Other slave ships flew the Dutch flag and the Portuguese flag and the Spanish flag. And yes, the U.S. flag but not one single slave ship ever flew the Confederate flag. Not one. But yet, that is the whole thing that people are dying about in the streets of our country today, over the Confederate flag, over its enslavement of the blacks, and its racial overtones. And yet, not one slave ship ever flew that flag, ever. And dare I say, we look back at the last study I just did, where we prove the Muslims were the ones behind the whole black African slave trade and still are to this day. The absolute vast majority, 95% of the black African slave trade going all the way back to when Islam started was all from the Muslims. And they were doing it so they would have like their sexual concubines. And, and, and I mean, the, the amount, the death rate of the black slaves from Africa by the Muslims, was so far beyond anything that you could even possibly imagine. 
but yet the Confederate Southern states are the ones that get all the blame for all of the African black slave thing because Satan wrote the history books. So he gets to produce the, the satanic Luciferian lying narrative when the truth is pretty much the polar exact opposite of what is being portrayed. And here we have the Confederate flag being demonized as well. By the time Lincoln launched his war against the southern states, slavery was already a dying institution. The entire country, including the South, reorganized, recognized the moral evil of slavery and wanted to end it. Only a small fraction of southerners even owned slaves at this point. The slave trade had ended in 1808 per the U.S. Constitution, and the practice of slavery was quickly dying too. In another few years, with the advent of agricultural machinery, slavery would have ended peacefully just like it had in England. It didn't take a national war and the deaths of so-called of over half a million people to end slavery in Great Britain, but it evidently it did here in America, because that's all it was about. America's so-called civil war was absolutely unnecessary. The greed of Lincoln's radical Republicans in the North, combined with the cold, calloused heart of Lincoln himself, is responsible for the tragedy of the Civil War. It's a special place in hell for you, Lincoln. And look at what is happening now. In one instant, after one deranged young man killed nine people, who ostensibly photoshopped a picture of himself, and the government probably had everything to do with all that anyway, who ostensibly photoshopped a picture of himself with a Confederate flag, the entire political and media establishments in the country go on an all-out crusade to remove all semblances of the Confederacy across America. The speed in which all of this has happened suggests that it was a planned, orchestrated event by the powers that be, and it is, in a, it is a mere coincidence that it took place at the exact same time that the U.S. Supreme Court decided to legalize same-sex marriage. And then he says, I think not. The Confederate battle flag flies what they call the St. Andrew's Cross. Of course, Andrew was the first disciple of Jesus Christ, brother of Simon Peter and a Christian martyr, who was crucified in an X-shaped cross at the age of 90. Andrew is the patron saint of both Russia and Scotland. So in the 1800s, up to 75% of the people of the south were either scotch or scotch irish remember andrew was the patron saint of russia and scotland so in the 1800s 75 percent of the people in the south were scotch or scotch irish the british the confederate british battle flag is predicated on the national flag of scotland it is a symbol of the christian faith and a heritage and of that heritage combine the current attacks against biblical and traditional marriage the attacks against all things Confederate, the attacks against all things Christian, and the attacks against all things constitutional. And what we are witnessing is a heightened example of why the Confederate battle flag was created to begin with. Virtually every act of federal usurpation of liberty that we are witnessing today and have been witnessing for much of the 20th century is the result of Lincoln's war against the South. Truly, we are living in Lincoln's America, not Washington and Jefferson's America. Washington and Jefferson's America died at Appomattox Courthouse in 1865. And I'm not saying either of them are perfect either, okay? So don't, but that's, that's his perspective. Instead of lowering the Confederate battle flag, we should be raising it. Pastor John Weaver rightly observed that, quote, even the Confederate state's motto, which is 
Dio Vendicia, which is the Lord is our vindicator. That was the Confederate States motto. The Lord is our vindicator illustrates the sovereignty and the righteousness of God. The St. Andrew's cross is also known as the Greek letter Chai. Um, and has historically been used to represent Jesus Christ. Many of the facts that I reference in this column were included in a message delivered several years ago by Pastor John Weaver. I want to thank Pastor Weaver for preaching such a powerful and needed message. Um, read or watch Pastor Weaver's sermon, The Truth About the Confederate Battle Flag, here. Okay, And I'm going to play this. I'm going to play his whole sermon. He's one of the best preachers I've ever heard. Um, I love him. I know him. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but um, um, you know, I, I love this man. He's the one that, um, when I went through that really, really super dark time, he is the one that, when I was on the other side of that, and I really believe the Lord had showed me um, this thing about Psalm 64 and imprecatory prayers, he was the one that literally preached the sermon that confirmed it. I never heard anybody preach on it before. And um, imprecatory prayers, a Christian door of hope, is is was, I think, the actual name of the the sermon um pastor john weaver is a native of georgia he's been a christian ministry for over 30 years he has traveled across america preaching and lecturing in churches colleges and conferences john weaver is an expositor of god's whole word his preaching style is in the traditional is in the tradition of those early american pastors whose pulpits were the cradle of, of america's christian liberty and i give you his contact information here as well um I'm probably going to just dedicate a whole part to this. So I'm going to end part four here. And we're going to go to part five. And I'm just going to let this, this play for all of part five. So we will see you in part five.